as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Potomy app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Our guest right now is Juan P. And I hope I get your last name right. Is it Viesmil? And uh, he oh, is great. awesome. Well, I am Hispanic, but you wouldn't know it if you saw me. Uh, he is a <laughs> he is an expert at, who has a, a new article in Real Clear World headline: U.S. is playing it safe while China is expanding in Latin America. the The question here is: let's let's start off with what China has been up to and why they're doing it. So, what's been going on? Yeah. So, as as I described in my article. Uh, the last 10 years, even more, uh, a lot of foreign policy uh, think tank folks uh, have not been really thinking about Latin America. Uh, some even argue that it's squarely under U.S. hegemony, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, it's a disaster, It's you know, which is kind of true. It's the most unequal region in the world. Uh, there's a lot of crime, corruption, drugs, so... Let's not bother with Latin America. Um, But you know who's bothering? China. Uh, China has been expanding into Latin America like crazy. I specifically focus on critical minerals, although it's true of telecommunications, it's true of, of oil, it's true of so many industries. In the critical mineral arena specifically, what worries me a lot is that you see China going into countries, not just Venezuela, but also Peru, Argentina, uh, Bolivia, Brazil, and buying massive stakes in critical mineral companies that are the future. Uh, As the world changes, as batteries become even more important, uh, those critical minerals will define who leads the next industrial revolution. And if the U.S. continues to, you know, be inactive in Latin America specifically, where critical minerals are vast and China controls the resources, then we're probably not going to win the Industrial Revolution. I refer to President Biden as President Sleeper for many reasons, and this might be another one to add on to the list. Uh, Juan Villasmil is a uh, journalism fellow at The Spectator World. He's got an article at Real Clear World talking about how China's been expanding their influence over Latin America. So conversely, uh, Joe Biden, uh, President Biden, what what has America been doing as far as our relationship with Latin America? Yeah, so what we've been is just doing small things, you know, symbolic, but nothing really. Uh, We had a, we introduced like uh, the MSP, which is Strategic Partnership, uh, in regard to critical minerals, Latin America is not included. So it just makes no sense. Like Latin America and Venezuela specifically, they opened the, 
the first and biggest in the region Colton refinery uh, mine. When China bought uh, stakes in Peru for lithium, now they control close to 50% of the world reserves in lithium. You don't need to be a chemist to know what lithium is. We all know what lithium is. It's a really important resource. And China just controls it almost all. Uh, and then you see Europe, for instance. Europe is trying to make some cool deals with Latin America, with Mercosur. And the U.S. is really not doing anything big with Latin America at all. 71% of our trade with the entire region is from Mexico alone. And every other country in Latin America, China is leading. I think, it, I, I don't remember, I think it's maybe like, in South America, I mean, I think it's Colombia, the only country where the U.S. still has to lead. Uh, but aside from Central America, in Venezuela, in Peru, in Uruguay, in Argentina, in Brazil, China took over. They took over in the last 10 years, and they keep rising. You know, that is fascinating because, come to think of it, I never see any uh, any headlines or stories about our relationship with any of those countries, come to think of it. Even with the, uh, the illegal immigration topic, and you, you have all these people from the Latin America co uh, countries coming over here. Still, you don't see any, hey, you know, we're talking with them at least, and we're trying to get some answers, and we're trying to come up with solutions. Like, I can't remember the last time the border czar, uh, Harris, showed up. Uh, Kamala Harris, the vice president, showed up to, to talk about any of this stuff. But I, I, um, I want to give an opportunity for Davis Rankin, my co-host, to, to ask a question. Go ahead, David. Aside from buying up these minerals, or, or, or um, however, aside from that, is there any other way they're uh, asserting influence uh, I've, I've read about their uh, cultivating people in Africa, and they've got this road they're, they're building, which has made a lot of people over there very nervous. They're not really, they're really not in the Chinese camp. Um, what else are they doing in, in South America that you know of? Yeah, so I, I, I focused on critical minerals from this article, yep. and I've been doing a lot of work specifically on Venezuela. And the amount of Chinese influence is just like, immense. I, I don't even know how to put it into words. Uh, some people talk about Iran, and of course Iran plays a role, but China and countries like Venezuela, it's the country, the, the, the country that in Latin America that China's investing the most in, according to Freedom House, is Venezuela. Well, it, it makes sense and, because the, the government there, I don't know what to call them, but they're definitely anti-American. I, I yeah, suppose in any western by definition. Yeah, extremely anti-Western, and China takes advantage. And the thing is, is that um, there's been some people within the foreign policy, foreign policy establishment, they have a, I don't know how to put it into words, I think it's like a degradation kink. Like, they hate being Americans. They're traumatized with being called el imperio by all these autocrats in the South. And... They just, like, cannot put into words, like, hey, what's happening in Latin America is really bad. It's a national security concern. We're talking about what's happening in the rest of the world. But what about our own neighborhood? They don't talk about it because they're, they're scared because they took some classes in college, and now they think that the U.S. is responsible for everything that has happened in Latin America. That's not how Latinos think. That's not what people in Venezuela think. That's what, like, a few academics think and now a lot of people in the foreign policy world 
think that way too. Uh, last question for Juan Villasmil, who is a, a journalist at the Spectator World. He's got an article in Real Clear World about the relationship between China and Latin America and the U.S. and Latin America. So let's talk about uh, five, ten years into the future. What's end game for uh, China in this instance, and what's end game for the U.S. in this instance by by comparison? Yeah. So in the next years, what's going to happen is that China is going to continue to gain influence unless we do something. Not only Latin America, but as we know, in the rest of the world. I've been writing about Europe recently, too. And in Latin America specifically, what they're attempting to do is to not only influence politically, but to dominate economically uh, trade with these nations to the point that they're so dependent that there is no other way forward than going with China and going along with China. So what we're going to see is that as they plan uh, other expansionary projects, they're going to use their economics way for political causes. So I would not be surprised at all if in the next years, let's say Taiwan becomes an issue, they will use their economics way to make Latin American countries publicly state, oh yeah, Taiwan is China, there's no problem happening here. They will use that economics way in, in Latin America to pit these nations against the U.S. And if a conflict were to begin, if a real conflict were to begin that we all hope it doesn't, Latin America is going to be tremendously important. And it's our hemisphere. China takes care of Asia in general, and they try to get control, and they try to be in charge. Maybe we should try to do something similar in our own region without, like, causing a lot of chaos, but at least, like, keep it in check. Yeah, we're we're having a hard time uh, helping out Hawaii at the moment. I don't know. I don't know about some of those other countries out there. Unless you're Ukraine, right? Uh, hey, thanks a lot for spending some time with us here today. That's Juan Villasmil. He often writes about foreign policy and American culture. Check out the article in Real Clear World. U.S. plays it safe while China expands in Latin America. You're listening to News Talk 710 KURV, your 956 drive home. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands, your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURV. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Let's talk about energy for a second. For the past uh, couple of months, ERCOT has been under the microscope because we're wondering, hey, with all these heat waves, energy production has gone up in Texas or energy uh, consumption has gone up in Texas. And we're wondering, what do we do about extra sources of power? And the thing came to mind, what about nuclear? When was the last time we talked about nuclear, right? We have a nuclear reactor in Texas. But what makes it so difficult to put up a new one is the question, Davis. Good question. And so Jeff Luce is 
policy assistant at the Conservative Coalition for Climate Solutions, a.k.a. C3. He's got a neat article in the nationalinterest.org titled, It's Time to Modernize America's Nuclear Power Policy. So why is it a rare occurrence that we see a nuclear power plant going up? Yeah. Hi, guys. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like you said, nuclear, it's it's an often, you know, under under-discussed option for clean energy, but it's a really important one. Uh, and as I mentioned in my article on the national interest, um, you know, one of the biggest things, it's it's economics, but that, uh, you know, makes it unaffordable to build nuclear. But the economics are driven by outdated government regulations that really just inflate uh, costs, bloat projects and just, you know, make it really undesirable to, to build nuclear in some cases. Give us an idea of how, what that process looks like, because to, to us, it just sounds like stacks and stacks of paperwork and red tape. I mean, you're not too far off there. <laughs> um, yeah, so before, you know, any project has to be built, has to receive approval from the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, um, you know, has to be permitted, fill out all the environmental paperwork, all the environmental regulations um, before it can start getting built. And as we saw with Vogel 3 in Georgia, which is the most recent nuclear power plant to uh, be built and to, you know, deliver energy to the grid is the first one in over 30 years in the U.S., um, what really just pushes it back is, you know, red tape. So, for instance, um, Vogel 3, uh, they had to undergo different amendments, different licensing things with the NRC, and that just takes, you know, a while to, a while to complete. It takes a lot to do. Uh, you know, there's high costs with compliance. So, you know, what ends up happening with many projects, it gets pushed back as much as six years and billions of dollars over budget. Um, and, you know, in the article, I point out a few things that has to do with that that inflates the cost. One of them is uh, quality assurance and quality compliance standards. Um, so that basically, it's there's the regulations that came about primarily in the 60s and 70s. Um, and they came about from an overreaction to Three Mile Island, which, uh, of course, was the worst nuclear accident that happened in the U.S., but led to exactly zero radiation cost deaths. Um, it didn't even increase cancer rates in the area. Uh, but what these QA and QC standards require is um, for a nuclear power plant to be built, the steel and the cement that, you know, goes into the power plant has to fulfill certain criteria and certain paperwork. But the issue with that is that the safety, that, you know, the added safety cost, it's essentially nothing compared to standard industrialized cement and steel. So it just increases the cost for no added safety benefit. Um, so those are just a few of the few of the issues that nuclear developers face. Joining us on 710K URV is Jeff Luce, who is with the Conservative Coalition for Climate Solutions. We're talking about nuclear power and why it's, it's not very often that you see a new nuclear power plant going up. Davis Rankin, go ahead with your question. I, I believe that uh, it's easier to permit a nuclear power plant in Europe than it is in the United States. Am I right about that? And if so, why is it easier? Yeah, I mean, it, it obviously depends country to country. I mean, you're seeing it in, like France gets, you know, what, 70% of their energy from nuclear. Um, you're seeing countries like Poland, Czech Republic also embracing nuclear. So, yeah, it's easier just because the politics allow for it primarily. Um, 
I mean, the physics and the history of nuclear power shows that it's the safest energy source that we have. So it's really not an issue of environmental regulation, or it is an issue of environmental regulation. It's not an issue of environmental safety as much as it is an issue of political will, uh, willpower. So, you know, like you see in France, uh, many former East, former Soviet countries, uh, you know, the, the government, they support nuclear power. They recognize that it's essential to meeting their, A, their power needs, and B, their, their carbon reduction goals. So, uh, you know, they they make it easier for developers to build, um, and which is something that really the U.S. needs to adopt. Can, can you give an example? I'm calling on my memory from when the South Texas Nuclear Project went into existence about 30 years ago, and it was owned by then, I think, five different utility companies and cities that have their own utility company, and it took a long time, and they kept saying that uh, the regulations would change. And, and the people who were opposed to all that painted a picture of uh, people who were hostile to nuclear power managing to get the government to change things all the time so they could put something in, build something, and then have to take it all out because it didn't meet the new specs. And so it just drug on and on and on and went way over budget. Is that what's going on now? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not familiar with that in no, with that, was- that case particularly. Yeah. Um, I mean, you do see some, like, some uncertainties in, in terms of regulations. I mean, uh, for instance, on the NEPA process, uh, which is the National Environmental Policy Act, uh, in order to conduct, you know, to fulfill the environmental regulations, uh, developers are sometimes they're unsure, Um and that can change from administration to administration. Um, under the Trump administration, they clawed back um, some outdated NEPA regulations, um, only for the Biden administration to, you know, claw back the claw back. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the same goes for the actual licensing process for nuclear power plants as well. It's, it, you know, it's it's unclear at times, it's uncertain at times, and that just confuses developers, which, like you said, it it increases budgets, it increases project times. Joining us on 710KURV, Jeff Luce is with the Conservative Coalition for Climate Solutions, and we're talking about why it takes so long to put up a new uh, nuclear power plant. So let me, let me, let me ask this question in, in this particular way. So how do we acclimate people and educate people to get on board with nuclear power if it, if it really is the, 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 the strong, clean energy like we've been saying it is? And how do we kind of get the stigma out of people's heads that it's automatically going to be like the Chernobyl documentary on HBO? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and there were definitely problems with that documentary. Um, yeah, that is a, that is an excellent question, and that's honestly the biggest one of the biggest challenges that the industry faces in the U.S. Um, fortunately, you are seeing some polling that shows that um, people are beginning to recognize the benefits and the inherent safety of nuclear energy. Um, I think it was a few a few months ago it reached a a, te- a decade high. It was around like sixty uh, percent of Americans approve. Um, so that that's that's definitely encouraging to see. Um, and at the same time, you are starting to see a bit more bipartisanship on the issue. Um, you know, historically it was mostly a Republican dominated uh, issue. They had better ideas, um, but Democrats are starting to get on board. Um, so we are starting to see some some favorability to it. But really, I think in many cases, it comes down to state policy. Uh, 
while the NRC and nuclear power plants broadly are regulated by, you know, federal regulations, uh, in certain cases, state governments have moratoriums on your builds. So it, it does come down to educating policymakers um, about the inherent safety of it. Um, and it also comes down to just, you know, pointing out what the rest of the world is doing uh, with embracing it. But like I said, you are starting to see a bit more bipartisanship and a bit more common sense on the issue, especially as, you know, innovation accelerate like advanced reactors, SMRs. Um, and, you know, with those technologies, it seems that people are a bit less concerned about waste, even though I could argue that the nuclear waste really isn't the, the largest issue that, that nuclear power has. Um, so it, it, it will be a conscious effort and a, a steady effort really uh, on the part of like think tanks, policymakers, uh, educators, just to, just to get the public on board with the whole thing. Hey, Jeff, thanks for outlining everything for us. Appreciate your time here with us today. That's Jeff Luce with the Conservative Coalition for Thank Climate you. Solutions joining us on Newstalk 710 KURB. Check out his article at uh, nationalinterest.org. It's time to modernize America's nuclear power policy. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on Newstalk 710 KURB and KURB.com. I love your show. Hello. Hello. Having our voices heard. That's right. Yeah. You live and you learn. That's exactly right. This is our country. Use your heads on this stuff. Bingo. Sick of the talking heads. I agree with you. Talk, 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 talk. Hello. Hello. Yes, I'm here. I'm just listening. Yes. No. Yeah. No. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Everyone is so smart. They are so dumb. Who is she the judge? To stand up to do something. Thank you. The Valley's only news talk station, News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. We were talking about the buoys put down by the triumphant governor of the mighty Republic of Texas, Greg Abbott, the floating border wall. And we had some questions about how international boundaries works. So so uh, Davis Rankin found a very experienced and knowledgeable guest for this particular topic. Go ahead and introduce him, Davey. That's right. Uh, Gabriel Eckstein teaches law at the Texas A&M School of Law. Uh, before that, he was at Texas Tech. And he is the professor of law, director of the Energy, Environmental, and Natural Resources Systems Law Program. So where do we want to start, Professor? Uh, where would you like to start? You've got buoys in the river. Uh, can um, are those buoys legal? Can, does the governor? Well, uh, hold on, hold on. Before we make what? assumptions and things like that, because let's 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 talk about how the boundary line works, at which these buoys are supposed to be floating near and and around. So how do, how do the how do the boundary lines work for say the the Rio Grande River in in uh, at the U.S. Mexico yeah. border? Well, be, uh, Mexico and the U.S. have a series of treaties that uh, uh, identify the particular locations of the boundaries all along the border, all the way from California down the, you know, to the Gulf. And uh, in particular, there's a 1970 treaty uh, that uh, talks about uh, the Rio Grande that had actually, it had migrated, it had moved, and they uh, used that treaty to precisely fix the location of the, uh, the, the, the border within the river itself. 
So how is that done? How do you, for, for basically everybody, including myself, that has no idea how they survey these things yeah. to make sure that this line is precise? And, and how, well, I'll, I'll get to that follow-up in a second, but how does this process work? So there's, there's a number of ways. It depends on what the treaty says and what the agreement is between the countries. You can have a, a border on one bank, not in the middle of the river. You can have a, a, a border in the middle of the river, which is geographically in the middle point. You can have a border on what's called the Thalweg, which is the deepest point of the of the of the uh, of the river. And so, uh, this is something that is um, decided by by the parties, by the countries, when they enter into an agreement. Uh, in the particular case of Rio Grande, I believe the the, the border is, is the middle point of the river. You see, that makes a lot more sense because the way that I had been picturing it, and I'm sure a lot of people have been doing the same thing too that, that might not know any better, is that it's like a straight symmetrical line through the entire river, right? Well, it is sort mm-hmm. of. Where, where, wherever the river is, in the middle of the river. But it's not exact. It, it can't be exact because you, this is, a river is dynamic. Yeah, right? it, that's why it, it, you know, it, it eats up the banks on one side and deposits sand on the other side and, and back and forth. And you've got flooding and you've got storm events and so on. So you're going to have some variations in this. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the treaties try to come up with some kind of mechanisms to uh, give some ki- some level of certainty. So, you know, where the where the border is. And right now, the International Boundary Water Commission uh, they're the ones who monitor this, and they know exactly where the border is at, in, in, on any given day. But before I before I uh, turn you over to uh, Davis Rankin, one more question. And I know this is I know this is silly, but these are legitimate questions that I know people might yeah, have. Yeah. Is that so? This line, it's not a perfect line. Uh, how mm-hmm. thick is the line, right? <laughs> and and it, no, I'm serious because like in sports, you know, you you always yeah. talk about lines are in, right? The lines are in, and if this thing is a it, this if this line is not perfect, period. I always picture two kids in the back seat, like a brother and a sister. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. And I just it just feels like an international version of that's going on. It it, it is it is. Uh, you know there there is a line there. You can't see it. Is it that thin that it's so it's it's so you know that it's invisible? It's there. Um, is it thick where you can stand on the line but not be over the line? Um, you know you're gonna, you're 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 asking for for semantics. Um, it's really just a line, and you go a little bit over, you're over. Um, so. Hmm. All right. We're not going to see the referees with the chains come out, like on the football field to see if it's a first down or not. No. Right? No. Okay. Well, the uh, well, not, not really. Um, although what you had uh, uh, this morning, uh, uh, Texas uh, moved the buoys because apparently they uh, were over the line. Yeah. Now, where they overline, you know, a, a few feet, a few yards, According to some drone images I saw, it was a few feet over. <laughs> uh, but uh, um, I thought that was interesting that uh, uh, they actually, I, I, you know, Texas went in there expending energy because they actually had constructed the buoys on the Mexican on Mexican territory, which is is a violation of Mexico's sovereignty. Um, you, so. you, you sure they didn't do that on purpose just to frustrate the president of Mexico? <laughs> we're always we're always screwing <laughs> with them. Or, so. Or President Biden, you, you, you know, oh, might want to. Uh, <laughs> go ahead and. Uh, we're talking with Professor Gabriel Eckstein, who teaches uh, at uh, Texas A&M University School of Law in Fort Worth. What, what, wherever the boundary is, does the governor have the right to put 
these buoys in the middle of the river? The short answer is no. Uh, the, the Rio Grande is a navigable waterway, and it's subject to the uh, statutes and regulations that have developed by the U.S. Congress for navigable uh, rivers, navigable uh, waterways, and so on. And there are specific uh, statutes, in particular the, the Rivers and Harbors Act that uh, I think dates back to 1899, that talks about any kind of uh, construction, any kind of installation, doesn't matter how big or small, it doesn't have to be a, a, you know, a, a massive pier or wharf, any kind of uh, installation has to have the permission, either direct permission of Congress or the Army Corps of Engineer, Engineers. And uh, in this case, uh, the Texas did not secure that uh, permission at all. What about the, the walls, however they appear, the walls that have been built on the U.S. side of the Rio Grande in places, those, do those need the approval of the Corps of Engineers or whoever? It depends where they're built. Uh, if they're built in the water, the answer is yes. If they're built right on the edge of the banks, uh, the answer is yes. And then as you move away from the bank, depending where the wall is located, uh, then you get into question, question of is it affecting or could it affect the navigability of the waterway? And that is a question for the Army Corps of Engineers. I don't think that um, I'm thinking back to when these the walls started going up and the government was um – suing to to take property it was not on the water's edge there was one link that was built on the water's edge near mission i think and those folks got in big trouble and last i heard there mm -hmm. was part of it kind of coll collapsing into the river but their, their problem with wasn't with the corps of engineers um so it's some, yeah. so so what happens what's likely to happen this thing is going to court tomorrow and they're going to tell the governor. Well, no. that's only the first. Yeah, what's going tomorrow is just a preliminary hearing on whether, uh, um, in the interim period, because the court's not deciding the whole case tomorrow. All they're deciding is until the court decides whether the buoy system is legal or not, uh, should it be removed uh, until that that point. That's the only thing that they're deciding to. Or, or, well, not deciding. They're having hearings on it tomorrow and the court can decide tomorrow or, or, or the judge can sit on it for who knows a week two weeks and then decide um the the soonest i believe that you know if they were going to decide that uh, it has to be removed um uh pending the final outcome i think they get 10 or, or 14 days to actually conduct the removal process so the earliest it would be removed would be uh september but the court can just decide uh, either wait to decide on this particular issue or decide that it can stay until it decides whether the buoys are legal or not legal. Well, what about if uh, they say, you know what, we're just going to truly figure out where this boundary is going to be and we're just going to move the buoys two feet away from that. And there's a good buffer between the, the buoys and, the, and, and still, we'll stay but, away from that the, boundary but line. The, but the boundary is in the middle of the river. And the problem is that... The Rivers and Harbors Act says that anything that is constructed in the river or, or uh, adjacent to the river along the banks that has the potential to impact the navigability of the waterway has to get permission. So regardless of whether they move, they, uh, they moved it this morning, uh, but regardless yeah. of where they put that, it's going to be subject to the Rivers and Harbors Act. 
In other words, he's S O L. He they they, they can pit, they can <clears throat> pardon me they can uh, complain all they want and they will they'll rage at the federal uh, those nasty federal judges and um, sure. it goes now, my beach it, umbrella idea. Here's <laughs> that's right. We were going to make some extra money. Do you believe that the uh, lawyers who work for the governor or who would um, who would consult with the governor of Texas have already told him this and he already knows that he's going to lose. Oh, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I can't. Well, let me put it this way. There was a, a report a couple of weeks ago that uh, staff, that the governor's staff had actually inquired uh, with uh, various federal offices whether this action of, of building this buoy barrier would be in violation of any law. I, mm. I suspect they knew uh, that it would, yeah. that, that the federal government would. Uh, object to it and would uh, uh, raise some kind of uh, concerns, possibly even a lawsuit. Uh, and I think that they knew about it. You know, I think I've seen a study uh, reports suggesting even six months or eight months ago. Um, now, yeah. whether they told the governor this, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, um, he didn't read the memo. That's the deal. They sent him a memo, yeah. and he didn't read it, and now he's. Yeah. Professor Eckstein, thank you oh, very much Lord. Can for, you imagine? for talking to us and also for having a sense of humor about, at least I think this stuff is kind of funny. Can you uh, imagine that premise and the governor and the governor's mansion? What do I pay you people for, honestly? <laughs> <laughs> what, why thank do I you. have you all here? You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands, your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Let's head up to Austin and get the latest on the embattled Attorney General of the Mighty Republic of Texas, Ken Paxton. And there's been a lot of stories surrounding the upcoming impeachment trial. So, uh, Harvey Kromberg runs the Quorum Report up in Austin. So what's the latest on Ken Paxton? Well, I guess the latest is that the Dallas Morning News uh, just got a copy of the uh, witness list. Um, and we have found out that uh, the, uh, the former attorney general or the suspended attorney general is going to be called to testify, uh, which will probably force him to take the fifth. Uh, his wife is going to be testifying. Uh, the Nate Paul, the Austin developer that kind of precipitated all of this is going to be testifying. The uh, lady that he was supposedly having the affair with is on the witness list. Um, and, um, uh, Carl Rove, uh, as well as, uh, a couple of prominent lobbyists, uh, are all going to be called to testify. Uh, so we just, if there was any question about the star power of this, uh, a particular proceeding, uh, I think that we can put that to bed. Why uh, Carl Rove? Um, oh, as a master, I presume as a master strategist, Carl, and a, um, a column in the uh, Wall Street Journal last Thursday, uh, essentially saying, uh, uh, outlining um, uh, strategically why uh, 
uh, Paxton was finished. Um, but uh, my guess is that um, uh, they're just going to talk about the dynamics of campaigns and politics. And I have, other than that, um, I have no no earthly idea. Um, uh, but Carl is never a man without an opinion. So, <laughs> <laughs> as is many of us. And uh, speaking of which, Davis Rankin has uh, many questions of, about this case. I'm, I'm figuring Carl's being called just to provoke people, not just. Just to get under somebody's skin. But, uh, well, uh, he is on Fox News, and that'll guarantee Fox News coverage, I suspect. So, I, I, uh, What's the best way, if someone wants to watch this, which I assume is going to be live streamed, uh, or at least yeah. follow it, what's the best way to prepare? Uh, well, there's a couple of different routes. You can go to TexasLegislatureOnline.com, um, and um, the, they will have a video link. Uh, into the Senate chamber. Um, if you've got um, uh, charter uh, cable news, um, they're going to be live streaming it. And frankly, uh, from what I understand, um, CNN, MSNBC, and Fox are going to be live streaming it, not on their not on their primary network. So you'll have to watch it on your computer. But if you're so inclined, uh, there's going to be. And I, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, of course, the Tribune will. Texas Tribune will have a, um, a, a live stream feed, uh, but um, it's going to be uh, nationally. Uh, it, it has become a matter of national interest, obviously, uh, with the June. I mean, the January sixth connection and and his efforts, the uh, Exton's efforts to overturn elections in other states on behalf of uh, the former president. Um, so this is a pretty high profile, and it's going to compete with. Uh, uh, the former president and his colleagues travailed at least for a week or two of uh, television time. Uh, any uh, uh, re realistic guesses as to how long it will last before before the vote number one and the Senate number two allocate? Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. and the number two, who's going to will he be convicted or will he prevail? Uh, the the Senate rules uh, allow for 40 hours for the prosecution and 40 hours uh, for the defense. Um, so technically, you would think that is two weeks. Uh, this, there's no prescription for the how long the Senate uh, it will take the Senate to rule. Uh, but uh, my my guess is uh, these people are not designed to sit still for 40 you know eight hours a day in in the chair. So my guess is it's about it's going to be a three week trial. Um, and um, um, uh, as of last week, I was I counted an easy 16 uh, votes not to dismiss the charges. Um, uh, but it's going to take 21 in order to convict. And with the revelations of the last week or so, including the burner phone, the fake Uber account, and um, uh, the fact that uh, the person who handed the uh, raw FBI files uh, to the target of the FBI investigation is going to testify, my guess is that we, we have, we, we've reached the 21 threshold right now. At the moment, I only count three Republicans that um, are so politically committed to their party that they will um, uh, they will vote to acquit. And I if if they actually get to present evidence, I'm and go through the trial. I'm not sure that they can even they can can vote to acquit. This is a pretty compelling mm -hmm. and overwhelming um, uh, set of, uh, yeah. of well, facts. 
And the fact that over 70% of the House Republicans voted to send the articles of impeachment to the Senate kind of tells you that this is um, this rises above partisan politics when you hear the evidence. Though that would probably be uh, opposite to some of the opposition's opinion. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what I mean in a second. Harvey Kromberg from the yeah, Corn Report sure. up in Austin joining us on 710 KURV. So how do how is it addressed where uh, there's a lot of people that are in defense of uh, Ken Paxton and they say this is all just you know political theater and it's all just going to go away and get blown over. He's going to be and the people had uh, the, the people show that they don't care because they're the ones that reelected him. So all of this should just go away. Well, first of all, that is mostly manufactured outrage uh, provoked by a, a group of, of uh, oil billionaires. Um, and uh, these are the same people who gave Dan Patrick $3 million um, uh, uh, right before the Senate rules were voted on. Um, uh, they, uh, there's a group called the Influencers that have, um, uh, they have oh, three or 400 um, uh, players on Twitter they get $50 each for broadcasting uh, essentially the same tweet and then retweeting each other, so it creates this sense of outrage. I want to uh, get in on that. But, yeah. How do we get yeah. in on that? We'll call, you, we'll call you after the show to get the information, because, yeah, we could use the money. Oh, just go to the website, scorecardconfessions.com. These, okay. It's written by an anonymous uh, writer, but uh, they're pretty much, well, I've never found them to be wrong. Uh, they're obviously pretty embedded in Republican politics, and they can give you they give you chapter and verse on how you manufacture this outrage. Um, so the it may well be that a, the the Republican primary voter or the convention goer uh, may still um, uh, somehow remain loyal to Paxton, but there's no upside in the Senate. Uh, uh, nobody can figure out what the upside would be for Patrick to put his thumb on the scale, the Lieutenant governor. Um, and, uh, the only people that, that, uh, we considered lockdown, uh, acquittals are, are some Republicans who are aspiring to run for statewide office, uh, in a few years and think that, uh, this might be a black mark against them. But, uh, my suspicion is that, uh, at least based on what we know today, that, uh, this is going to be so compelling that, uh, uh, the billionaires don't for them spending a couple million dollars in manufactured outrage is one thing. Um, uh, but, uh, when you're thinking about your political future and voting for a guy who the conventional wisdom says is going to be, um, uh, indicted uh, by the uh, department of justice mm -hmm. and, um, and, um, ultimately, uh, has a better than even shot of being convicted. Even if you don't like the Department of Justice, that's not necessarily a, a good thing. It it may like look like a good thing today, but in three years, when the next round of statewide uh, elections take place, is probably not it's probably not going to wear well. Are you going to have Harvey a catered watch party over there at the Corn Report <laughs> office? Uh, we're simply going to uh, require everybody to have a uh, we'll have uh, uh, required tequila shots every time you say Nate Paul. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This just in breaking news: there's an alcohol shortage in the state of Texas. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like a uh, you know, it's a vacuum in uh, Central Texas. Uh, the stores have been cleared, and uh, only high-end whiskey, of course, has uh, disappeared. But uh, it's 
yeah, it's uh, yeah, yeah. Were they were they stocking um, up for hurricane season? No, it was for Ken Paxton's impeachment trial. <laughs> you know, the sports bars are not going to be carrying the Cowboys here uh, for a few days, anyway. So, yeah, I, I, uh, yeah. no, it's uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, it's pretty pretty serious stuff. Um, um, and if the allegations hold up, the um, the pattern of corruption is. You know, we're used to a former county judge friend of mine said, well, there's graft and corruption and then there's mine, which is honest graft and corruption. And we have a pretty high tolerance level um, uh, for graft and corruption in in, you know, the uh, political process. But this rises to levels that um, are pretty damn difficult to justify. So if if the allegations prove to be true. So, yeah, uh, it's, it's some pretty heavy stuff that we're dealing with. I admit that. Hey, Harvey, thanks a lot for, for uh, bringing us the news. Harvey Kromberg for the Quorum Report up in Austin. Joining us on News Talk 710 KURV. This is your 956 Drive You're Home. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radiopotomy app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710-KURV. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radiopotomy app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.